Um, you know, I'm feeling like I'm not tethered to anything. Would you guys mind if I stood back there? And Just kidding. Okay. Hey, uh, first of all, happy Father's Day. Uh, do we have some fathers out there? Uh, do we have some people out there who have a father somewhere? Yeah, okay, that's pretty much everybody, right? So hats off to all you guys, though, that have taken on that kind of that, uh, what do you call it, an awesome and terrifying responsibility, right? To care for, to love, to raise up some of those human beings that are running around on this earth right now. And some of them, we're not exactly sure what they're doing, but hats off to you guys. Um, We thank God always for his grace in that. I think a large part of what we celebrate in being fathers is that, tell me if this isn't true, dads. I know for me, it's the pride that we feel when our kids are doing well, right? So I know that this week, there are some of you fathers that are exceptionally proud of those kids that either have graduated or some of them who just made their way through a really hard year, right? Dads, we proud of our kids, right? I think so. Moms, I think you're proud of your kids too, right? They did a great job this year. But in all that, I, th- I think it's interesting that um, Father's Day is uh, in that same time of year as all that kind of stuff. Because, I mean, you talk about graduations and uh, finishing up school and accomplishing things. And, and, I mean, that has dad's pride written all over it. So happy Father's Day to all you guys out there who are dads. Um, today we're going to be looking at the story, uh, story from the life of Jesus. We're in a series called Everyday Stories from the life of Jesus, and this is one of them. Uh, in this story, some of the, I'm getting some weird feedback. I don't know if you're hearing it. Um, just want you to know that. Uh, but we're looking at the story. There were some of the disciples that were looking for special attention from Jesus, and, um, but they were asking for this recognition without actually doing anything for it. It was kind of like going up and asking for your, um, asking for your diploma, you know, um, before you've even gone through school, right? And that's just not how it works. And that's basically what Jesus says to him. So uh, we are going to be reading from Mark chapter 10, verse 35 through 45. Let's go ahead and stand up and uh, listen to this. This is God's word, but this is an everyday story from the life of Jesus. James and John, the two sons of Zebedee came to Jesus and they said, teacher, we want for you to do for us whatever we ask you to do. And Jesus asked, what do you want me to do for you? They said, establish right now that when we enter into the glory of your kingdom, the two of us will sit, one on your right and one on your left. And Jesus told them, you don't even know what you're asking for. Are you able to eat, drink the cup of suffering that I'm about to drink or be baptized in the kind of baptism with which I am about to be baptized? And they said, yes, we are. <laughs> oh, boy. So Jesus said, all right, the cup that I drink, you will drink. And the baptism with which I am baptized, you will be baptized. But to sit on my right hand or on my left is an honor that is not mine to give. God has prepared those places for the ones he chooses. Hearing this, the other 10 disciples began to feel indignant towards James and John. So calling them all together, Jesus said, you know that those who consider themselves unequaled, unparalleled among the nations, establish themselves as rulers over all the others. And the ones who see themselves as the most important exercise authority over others. But that is not how it will be with you. Rather, whoever wishes to become great among you will be the one who serves. And whoever wishes to become first among you will be the one who serves the most. For even the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to be, come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
So tell me, would you ever ask for an A before you know what the test is about? No, probably not. Would you ever ask for a promotion before you know the job that you signed up for? Okay, but how many times do we go to God with our expectations and kind of our request before we ever figure out what his purposes are and his, how his kingdom works? Because I think we do that all the time. And Jesus said, and he tells us here, just like in schools or a job or in all of life, we need to know the measure of and the definition of what success is before we are going to ask somebody to tell us that we've succeeded at being been successful at something, right? And sometimes God's measure for success can be wildly different than ours. Today, the story in the life of Jesus is titled with honors. It's called the graduation story. Father, we want to ask that today you would teach us about what your measure of success is, that you would tell us what your definition of success is, and that we would know how and we would know why, and we would know what that life is that you're calling us into so that we would be truly successful, truly accomplished in the things that are most important to you. So, Father, teach us through your word. Teach us through your spirit. Teach us in this moment, even this moment in this time. We thank you for this beautiful day. And we ask that your spirit would join us in this time, and he would be the one speaking to our hearts. We pray it in Jesus' name for your glory, by his power. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. All right. How many of you guys remember your senior year in high school? Vaguely, even. Anybody remember their senior year? Back row, can you hear me? I know you guys went to school, right? Do you remember your senior year? You guys are forgetting it? Getting a little foggy? Okay. How many of you guys still have your senior year yearbook? I, I don't even know. Carrie and I were talking about this. Are yearbooks even still a thing? Okay, okay. So that's good. Good. I'm glad they didn't give up that tradition. So do you remember that? So that senior year yearbook, I mean, you could, you could not have your freshman year yearbook, right? Because who cares about that class, right? But your senior year, that was, the, that was the book that forever memorialized the year that your class was in charge. And that was the best year ever, right? Because that was the year that like your, your music, that was the theme for all the dances, it was your, your class president and stuff, your officers, they were making all the important decisions. That was a year when your hairstyles were immortalized forever in your yearbook, right? And so every once in a while, you got to pull it out and say, oh, yeah, I remember what I, oh, yeah, I remember what I look like, right? But there was something about that, that senior yearbook, and it immortalized all that stuff. And the people, do you remember the, the the best stats and the most likely twos. You had all those. But if you look closer in that yearbook, you also see the other side of the picture, don't you? You see those who probably were not the most likely to, right? They, they were the ones that you really you're going, I, I just hope maybe they can get their act together by the time life rolls around. You also had those people that you just might have, you might have uh, christened them with the title, I, I hope they just can catch a break once in a while. Because stuff just seemed to hit them. And all of that was going on, and all of that is captured in that yearbook. Because those yearbooks, they really just kind of captured this microcosm of, of life. That's what the world's like. That's what we know life is like here. Because life is full, this world is full of people. They're just wanting to be recognized, wanting to be valued for who they are. Wanting to be seen for who they are, wanting to be be um, accepted and welcomed and loved 
uh, for what God has made them. And sometimes they'll come up with all kinds of categories or all kinds of status hierarchies and all that to try and grab hold of kind of that, that day, that moment in the sun. Well, that's what Jesus is talking to his disciples about on this day. Because James and John, they're these two disciples, and in this passage, they're looking to establish their status with Jesus, right? They've gone together. Now, at this time, there are hundreds of people following Jesus. There are hundreds following him. There are scores that are supporting him. There are 12 that are called his disciples, his students. But there are three that are kind of the inner circle of his group. And that is James and John, and then there's Peter. Now, two of those three, the brothers James and John, they did some math. I want you to follow this, right? This is a tough math question. But they figured out when Jesus comes to his, into his kingdom and he sets up his throne, how many sides are there to a throne? Two. They're going, huh, there's two. There's not, there's not three. There's not 12. There's not scores. There's not hundreds. There's two. So really quickly, they said, well, we got to get, get Jesus to lock us into those spots, right? And they weren't just locking themselves into these spots for like, uh, you know, for a few years or for just a season. They were saying, we want these to be our spots for the rest of time. That's what essentially they're saying. And they're saying, we want to we wanna get, you know, this together. And, and so we, wanna, we want to... Um, kind of take care of ourselves, not just for this moment, but into your kingdom, into eternity. Now, I want to ask you guys, honestly, if you were in that situation and you kind of, you were doing the math, isn't that the kind of thing that we might do too? Isn't that the kind of thing? I I know I might think about doing that. Because, I mean, honestly, we're talking about eternity. It's not like any of us want to be like the garbage collector up in heaven, right? For the rest of eternity, this is what your decree... Anybody? Anybody want to be the one who goes around dusting all the mansions for, right? And so that's how they're thinking. They're thinking, I don't want to be doing that for all of eternity. Let's see how high we can get. I want those, um, I want these best two spots. So what cracks me up, though, it's funny to me. They go up to Jesus and they ask, but look look at how they ask, right? Uh, my, My daughter, Rachel, she has these two boys. Uh, the oldest one, Demetrius, will regularly come up to her and, and says about the same kind of thing that James and John said to Jesus. They'll come up to her. So Demetrius comes up and he says, Mommy, I have this great idea, so just say yes, okay? I don't want to really tell you about it, but just say yes. That's what James and John, they do it to Jesus. They say, hey, Jesus, okay, we want you to do for us whatever we ask you to do, okay? Just say yes, okay? Have you guys ever done that to God? Or you say, God, I got a great idea for you. It's going to be perfect for everybody involved. You, me, you know, whoever else. But it's going to be perfect. So just, just say yes to this one. Just put your stamp on it. Make it go. Let's see where it goes. But you find in this story, Jesus doesn't buy it. My daughter doesn't buy it either, right? God doesn't buy it either when we try that to him. When we say, just say yes, you know, when we ask things like that, what are we, we're really trying to get away with something, right? We're trying to somehow sneak something by God. They were trying to sneak something by Jesus because we, they know what they're doing. They know that they're about to throw a whole bunch of people under the bus with this one. And they have to, they hope that the yes will help them justify doing all that, that they won't feel quite as guilty, especially 
especially Peter, right? Peter's one of the top three, and they're about to throw him under the bus with all the rest of them. Yeah, just us two, right and left. So Jesus doesn't buy it. He says, so he says, just like my daughter says <laughs> to Demetrius, just like God says to us, okay, why don't you tell me a little bit more about this plan? And so they spell it out. Well, we've done the math, and we think that we're probably the best right and left-hand men that you have. Jesus says, you know, I'm not sure that you figured this out right. But they say, we think think we're we're the best ones for this job. And I think there are times that we go up to God and and we go to others and we say, you know, in my calculations, in the math that I've done, what I figured out is the best for everybody involved. And what we really mean is what's the best for me is that we do things kind of this way. The problem with talking to God, the problem with talking to Jesus was that he was looking out not just for the two of them, not just for the three in the inner circle or the 12 of his disciples or just the hundreds that were following. He was looking for all. He was looking out for all of them. He was thinking about what's going to work out the best for everybody involved, and not just here and now. But what about those who follow? What about the ramifications for what I do now? How is that going to affect generations to come and generations after that? Well, somehow the other disciples, they heard, they heard all that was being talked about. And they did some quick math. And what they figured out was, well, if James and John gets these two spots, that means that we're going to get worse spots than that. And they didn't like that plan too much, so they, it says, they became indignant. <laughs> they became incensed. Can you guys relate to that? Is there, have you ever been in a situation where somebody kind of, they're the ones that jump first and they get the advantage and you're like, oh, that's not, it's just not fair, Right? And when we do that, what are we usually mad about? What are we upset about? Is it because they got something? No, it's usually because we didn't get what they just got. You know, I was at the, I was at the beach down at Goddard the other day, and we're out and we're watching, and there's this lady out there, and she's throwing a whole bag of bread out on the beach, just throwing bread out on the beach. And the seagulls, you know, they're pretty skittish, and they didn't want to come in. They're kind of slowly making their way in. And one would kind of go a little further than the others, and the others would run up because they didn't want to get all the bread, you know. And then finally, one would dart in there and grab just a little scrap of bread. And all the others, you would think, would go, oh, good, it's safe, and they'd go get bread. But they didn't. What did they do? They attacked this one seagull and got the little piece of bread. The beach is covered with bread at this point. And they're just grabbing this one piece of bread because this one guy got it. A lot of times when we get incensed, and I think when the disciples got incensed, it was not about what somebody had or what was available, what God was offering. It was all about that somebody had, that, that here James and John, they had, they had the audacity to be the first ones to ask, to ask before I thought about asking saw jealousy set in. So here's Jesus. He saw, sees all this happen. And you guys, he sees it when, we, when it happens with us. He calls him to himself. He calls all his disciples together and he says to them, you know what, you guys, you're missing the point. Because the essence of the kingdom, the very essence of the kingdom of God is about serving, not about being served. Now, I got to say, at this point, a lot of people 
are probably tempted to check out on this story. A lot of people, and, and not to call us out on this day like Father's Day, but I would say especially guys are tempted to check out on this story at this point because, you know, we would say something like, well, that's fine for big babies, right? That's fine for, for people who don't want to accomplish anything in life because all of us have really been trained and have grown up under this idea that somehow if you're going to get ahead in this world, you need to become the ones who are served, not the ones who are doing the serving. So all of our structures are set up to help us get ahead of others, to help us be on top of the pile, to help us to be and get, uh, you know, leave others in the dust in that race, to win the competition. And so we're tempted because we've been trained that way to think about those things. These, these words of Jesus sound very odd to our ears. And we can say, well, that's fine for religion, but that doesn't really work in real life. But I want us to consider the truth about what Jesus is saying. I want us to consider what, are, what might the actual advantages be, reality, what the advantages might be to serving others rather than trying to, trying to strive after ruling over them, trying to strive after subjugating them instead of serving them. Now, the advantage, the one advantage that this story brings out is this. There's a definite external advantage to this. If you serve others, as opposed to trying to rule over them, you're not going to have a whole mass of people that are indignant, right? Have you ever heard of her? I mean, if you think about what indignant is what leads to outbursts in this world. It leads to undercurrents and uprising and overthrows and coups. It leads to all kinds. And it usually leads to a very bad outcome for the person who is ruling. So if you want to try ruling, you've got to be able to fend off all those people that are going to try and take it from you. Have you ever heard of an uprising against somebody who is serving? Yeah. So Jesus says there's this definite, there's this definite benefit of external peace. So there's external peace. Another important advantage, he says, is there's, there's also this internal peace that comes if you, if you make the choice to serve rather than to be served. Why? Well, one of Jesus' most consistent messages is that God has, has wired us at creation to connect with others. And anything that gets in the way of that, that separates us from others, that that pulls us apart, that isolates us, is unhealthy. Not just for the relationship, but for us. That's why this pandemic has been so tough. Because we were, we were too separate. We were too isolated for too long. So there are a lot of people coming out of this. And I mean, they're, they're wrestling with depression and anxiety. And just because it, it looks like it's just messed up the outside relationship, but it messes us in, inside as well, Right? So he says, there's, if you choose to serve, it's going to be better for your relationships with you than it will be better for your health, your internal, just your, all of what's inside, your settledness inside. So there's the external piece, there's the internal piece, and he says, and there's also this thing, there's the eternal piece. Because he says, I want you to know, you know what, relationships and connection and service, that is that's all that God is about. That is all that heaven is about. He says, if you want to know how serious God is about service, 
Look at the king of heaven, his, his own son, Jesus. What did he come to do? He said, the son of man did not come to be served, but he came to serve and to use all that he had, including his own life, to lay it down and to pay as a ransom to free you and to free me. That's how dedicated he was to service. Why? Because that is what the kingdom is about. So what are the advantages? Are they just these spiritual advantages? No, it's how this whole universe, how this whole world is wired. It's what we were made for. It enhances our relationships externally. It enhances just our mental health or, or internally. And it enhances and establishes even eternally our peace. Can you imagine if we had eternal life right now and we had brought along with it all, the, all of that kind of that competing and the marginalizing and, the, and that, that disregarding and lording other over and putting down. And along with it, we, we carried in all the uprisings that happened and all, the, all of the dethroning and, and indignation and, and outbursts that were happening. Can you imagine if we brought that into eternity with us? What would that be? That'd be hell, wouldn't it? Can you imagine you couldn't get away from the broken relationships? You could never find release from the broken relationships for all eternity that were caused by these things. You could never get away from that, that self-centeredness and selfishness that drives that kind of behavior that I need to be above all others, whatever it costs them. Jesus told us, you know what? I, I came to rescue from hell both in this life and in the life to come, I have come to release you from that, to free you from that, that curse and, enter and bring you into the life that God always intended. But it will take, and I want you to hear this, it will take you giving up, pursuing, lording over. It will take you giving up, pursuing that place of where you seek after being over and above others and isolated from them. It will take you putting those things aside and instead pursuing serving others because that's where peace is found. That's where the kingdom is found. That's where Jesus is found. So the eternal, the internal, the external he said, if, I, if you want to graduate, if you want to graduate to that next kind of level of living, the life that God intended, put away being served. Take up first learning how to serve others. So the question is, so last questions are, are these. So what, what, is, what does that look like? What does that mean in our lives? What is service look like? There were two things that Jesus said. I want to leave you with these, and I want to leave you with some questions. First one, he said, he, he made this statement, the greatest will be the servants. And in that line, this word uh, is used in the Greek. It's the word diakonos. It's the word that we get our word deacon from. We have deacons in this church, and deacons in churches are usually those who serve other people by taking care of them. They, they uh, take care of the, the church building. They take care of uh, church finances, they serve the church in various ways. Now, um, diakonos in, in the New Testament, in that culture, what it really meant, it was more like a supporter. It was like a, um, somebody who came alongside of 
someone else and, and like sponsored them. So this was somebody who would, and I want you to think about yourself in this terms. It was somebody who came alongside another person and they would pay their bills. They would pay for their food. They would pay for their travel. They would make sure that they were taken care of. They would make sure that they had um, lodging when they got to the place that they were going. So Jesus had people that served him in that way. They supported him. They sponsored him. Um, We have missionaries that we support in that way in this church, right? We want to see them bring clean water to Tanzania. So we send them money that will take care of their daily needs. We want to see this this clinic in Mali stay open and serve that community. So we send money and we send support and we send supplies to take care of the needs that they have so they can continue to do the work. That's what diakonos really means. And what's being focused on here is this, is are we serving in a way that we take from the very resources that God has given to us and we use them for the benefit of another person? Very intentionally. And not just to kind of get them by for half a day, but in a way that sustain, in a sustained way that continues to pour into people in a way that continues to help them move forward in their lives. That's what diakonos means. And Jesus says the greatest will be those who serve in that way. So a couple of questions. One, ask yourself, where am I using what I have? My time, my talents, my, my money, my energy, my abilities, all that. Where am I using what I have to support the very life or work of someone else? That's the Akinos. Second question is, and I want you to pay attention, this one's important. Am I intentionally saving money, putting it aside so that I can serve somebody in that way? Because I can guarantee you You're not going to be able to serve others in that way if you're not setting something aside. You're not going to have any resources. If you don't have resources, you can't serve that way. If you don't set it aside intentionally, you're not going to have the resources. They're not going to show up. Because Jesus says the ones who would be great in my kingdom, the ones who would be great in this life that I've actually designed you for are going to be those who serve in that way. Second way he talks about service, he says the ones who would be first, ones who would be the, the kind of premier kind of examples in his kingdom will not just be servants, but they will be servants of all. And that, there's this Greek word that's used, it's not diakonos, it's doulos. And it, it, it kind of has more the picture of what we think of when we think of a servant. It's a, and there are a couple of things that are brought out. One is a, a doulos does not think of their own needs first. They always are thinking of the other person, the other person that they serve. A doulos is, uh, is thinking of the other person. But the other is, is a doulos is not above serving anybody because it all depends on who their master says you need to serve. Sometimes it's him, sometimes it's people that are important to him. And God says, so the questions that come from this are, there are two questions, they're related. I want us to think about this. Are there people that you consider their needs far more important than your own. And that's why you serve them. Because that's a do loss. And I want you to ask a second question. Are there people who you do not consider their needs as more important than your own? Because that's where we tend to fail in serving God in the way that he wants us to serve, by serving others. 
He asks us to look and even find those people that, that we think they don't, they don't deserve to be served. They don't deserve our time and attention. Amen? But he says, you know what? A doulos, those who are the greatest in the kingdom, those who will be seen as the examples who will sit on my right and my left, they not just serve, but they will serve anyone that I call them to. Now, that doesn't mean you have to do everything that everybody tells you to. But what it does mean is that we have to be ready to move when God gives us that nudge and he says, I want you to serve this person in this certain way. I want you to use the things that I've given to you out of my grace, and I want you to pour these into their life to benefit and to bless their lives. That's how I want you. And all of us have something, right? Some of you guys are saying, I don't have any extra money to... I didn't say money. I said there's money, there's time, there's energy, there's talents. There's your, your, your thinking ability. There's just your presence. All of us have something. So he says, are you going to be, do you want to be great in this kingdom? Then you need to begin to enter this life, this life that I've actually designed you for. Why did I design you that way? Because this is the very essence and heart of God. This is the character of God. Diakonos, doulos. Dig into our own stuff and make sure others get ahead. And not above serving anybody that God would call us to. You guys, he says, if, if we would do that, we change the world. That's, that's what turned the world upside down with the early church. You know, uh, what are ways that we can do that? Some of you guys are sponsoring kids that are over in Congo as a church. We've taken that on. Some of you guys show up here on Fridays and you just say, I'm here to serve whoever shows up. God, whoever you bring to this care center, I'm here to be to be used by you and to serve them in whatever way I can. Some of you guys are out there in this community and you're serving people. When, you, when I asked you these questions, there were names and faces that came to mind. Oh yeah, that, that person, that's who God has set me up with to serve them, to, to lay my life down for them, just like Jesus did for me. He says, you guys, that's what the kingdom's about. That's the essence of the kingdom. That's, that's where life is found because that's, that's where the king is found. That's where Jesus is found. That's where God's found. Amen? Kind of a challenge. Do you guys have any names that kind of came to mind? Did God bring anything to mind when he said, hey, um, I've been nudging you about this. Anybody? Right? I want to challenge you to take those steps this week, to listen for God. Look for that person that he's saying, hey, start small. Start with just that first step. A step into that, that life of serving as a diakonos, as a, as a doulos, pouring your life into others, sharing what God has given to you so that others' lives might benefit. Amen? Father, we want to thank you for the call that you have on our life. We want to thank you for the grace that you've given us in order to, to, um, to answer that call that you haven't called us to step up and to do something that from on heaven and you're just telling us, commanding us to do something. You've actually gone ahead of us, Jesus. You said, watch what I do. You can tell what the kingdom's about because you can just watch my life and know. And it was all about service. It was all about serving others, laying down our own lives for their benefit. So Father, help us to step up, to be your people, to find that life, that better life that you intended us for that you designed us for, wired us for. Help us to graduate into that next level of living, that life of serving. We pray all this for your glory. We pray it in the name of your son, Jesus. 
by the power of your spirit. It's only by the power of your spirit. Send us as your servants, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.